Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. So today I'm going to wrap up this little series we've been doing here in the month of June that we've called Represent. I want to talk with you today kind of a, like what that sermon bumper was talking about, uh, representing faithfulness to God, excuse me, thankfulness to God in the face of all the good that he has done for us in life. And as I said earlier in the service, that doesn't mean that everything is good or that you like everything that's happening or you have no trials uh, or no problems. Um, you know, you, nobody gets through life unscarred. Nobody gets through life without facing issues. Every single one of us have faced things this past week. We choose what we're going to do with what we go through. We choose how we're going to respond what we're going through. And if you choose the right course, God can bring great blessings into your life. And even if things don't necessarily change on the outward, they can change on the inward, on the inside of you, and things can begin to start working in your behalf to bring praise and glory to God in spite of what you might be experiencing in life. Daniel chapter 4 tells us, remember we're kind of looking into the book of Daniel here as we're talking about represent, and, and Daniel chapter 4 tells us that King Nebuchadnezzar, let me just remind you who he is, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, the greatest power in all the earth during that particular time in history. Israel had been deported to Babylon as a group of people. They had been conquered because of their rebellion against God. And because of that, God lifted his protection off of them. A foreign country and nation came in called Babylon, conquered them, killed most of them. But the best of the people, they left a few poor people behind to tend to the land. The rest of the people were hauled off to Babylon to serve the king of Babylon. At this particular time, the king's name is Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you to know about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how powerful his wonders. His kingdom will last forever, his rule through all generations. Now we'll jump down to verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the King of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. Now that's good there, that last line. He is able to humble the cockiest of people in all of the earth. Now, those words are very powerful words. But to appreciate those words, you have to realize who they came from and what kind of a person it was who said them. We would expect that a man or a woman close to God would say things like this about God. But Nebuchadnezzar was not a man close to God. He was a man being used of God. He didn't know he was being used of God. But he was a man being used of God because God had raised him up and give, given him power over all the 
civilized world at that particular time, in order to bring discipline upon God's people, the Jews, because of their rebellion against God. And so he was being used of God. The power given to him had come to him from God. So the only reason that he was in a position of power is because God chose to make him a person of power. God chose to make his kingdom a, a dominant kingdom in all of the earth. But by the time he makes this particular statement, these verses that we read earlier, he's beginning to change on the inside. As king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man in all of the world. Now we talk about things like that uh, with, with reference to the American president. We often say that he's the most powerful man in the world, but it's not really true, at least not in the sense that Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man uh, in the world at that time. Because the American president does not get every wish answered. There are checks and balances in our system. The American president does, does have figuratively his, his, his finger on a nuclear arsenal that could destroy the whole world, he, on the button for that. He, that is true. And he is the leader of the most powerful economy in the world. That is also true. But Nebuchadnezzar could snap his finger and end your life just that quickly. That's how powerful he was. He could snap his finger and end the lives of every person who lived in that village over there if he wanted. Just how powerful he was. His word was unquestioned. I don't think the American president's word is unquestioned, at least not by the news reports I see. I don't think that they have that kind of clout and power. At, at least, uh, well, one way I, th I think becomes obvious that they don't have that kind of power is the amount of gray they have in their hair when they leave office compared to when they start office. And gray is something that, unless they color it, of course, which probably, well, never mind. Uh, <laughs> and, unless they color it, but, but uh, they, they walk out with considerably more gray than they had when they came in. And that is oftentimes uh, a factor of stress that you're living under. The stress of criticism creates a heavy toll that these men deal with. Nebuchadnezzar did not have any gray in his hair from criticism, at least not any criticism he heard. That would have been a fatal mistake for any of his critics. But Nebuchadnezzar did have fear. He was a dreamer. And I don't just mean he sat there in, in school class and, you know, went off and, into Never Never Land. I'm talking about a man who actually had profound dreams. And one dream in particular uh, bothered him. In fact, it rattled him. And it has an interesting connection to prophetic events that we're even seeing being played out today. Now, in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that disturbed him so greatly that he asked all of his enchanters and his sorcerers to come to the palace and get this. He, he didn't want them to just interpret the dream. He wanted them to tell him what he dreamt. You tell me first what I dreamt and then what it means because he wanted to find out if these sorcerers were all for real, these wise men. Of course, they couldn't do that. So he ordered that all the wise men and the enchanters and the sorcerers throughout the kingdom be killed, which included, by the way, a guy by the name of Daniel, 
because he was considered a wise man in the Babylonian Empire. Well, when Daniel found out about the death sentence that had been placed upon him, he asked for a little time to seek his God about what the king was asking. What did the king dream, O God? And what is the answer? What is the meaning of what he has dreamt? And the king granted him this time. After a short, short while, Daniel went to see the king, and he told the king the dream, and then he interpreted it for the king, and it was spot on. What Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream was a huge statue that rep represented the four dominant Gentile kingdoms that will emerge in the earth until the coming of the Lord. Daniel chapter 2, verses 32 through 40, give us what uh, Daniel saw in this dream. The head of the statue was made of, made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of, the, of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. That was the dream. And now I will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. But after your kingdom will come, comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to take your place. After that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom represented by bronze will rise to rule the world. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. Then Daniel went on to reveal what the dream meant and who these kingdoms represented. Now, we today can look back in history and see who, who these, what this dream represented. At this time, they had no idea all of this except for the first. He told him that the head of gold was indeed Nebuchadnezzar himself and the Babylonian Empire. You guys are the head of gold. You're on top. But king, another kingdom is coming, and it's going to rise and it's going to be inferior to your kingdom, but God's going to allow it to conquer Babylon, which just goes to show that we're only as powerful as God allows us to be. Amen. It's not about us as a nation. It's about Jesus Christ and the power that he has. God's going to allow this other inferior kingdom to come in and conquer great Babylon, and history tells us that this happened. It was the Medo-Persian Empire, which is the combination of two great empires of, of that particular time. They joined together, and, and uh, the chest and the arms of silver represent this great Medo-Persian Empire, which eventually became known as the Persian Empire. After Persia would arise, a kingdom that was represented by the belly and the thighs of bronze, and this we know as the Greek Empire under, you've heard of him, Alexander the Great, 
who, who just, uh, he, he took over the world so fast it was amazing. His kingdom, though, ended just before, about 60 years before the birth of Christ at about 63 B.C. And then the legs of iron and the feet of clay in this vision represented the Roman Empire. Iron is strong, but clay is not. Rome was strong in law. It was strong in organization. It was strong in military might. Once, but, but Rome was weak because of disunity. Boy, I wish I could preach this to the Congress because that is a picture of the United States of America right there. Strong in law, strong in organization, strong in military might, but divided, weakened by our disunity. Once the, the unity of the empire of Rome began to dissolve, their military could no longer keep the empire together, and it fell at about 475 A.D. It lasted a long time, but it did fall, and it crumbled from within. It did not crumble from without. That is, boy, what a message to America. Finally then, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he saw in verses 34 and 35, a rock cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. Years ago, when Kennecott built the big building that you can see kind of on the side of the mountain there, a man who attended our church at that time was the, was the manager of that construction uh, that was taking place out there. At that particular time, it was the largest construction uh, project in all of America. It was over $500 million uh, was being spent on that. And that man took me out there to see what was, what was happening, what they were building. And what they had was these big, huge drums, great big things, and inside these drums would be uh, probably iron uh, balls or steel balls, something like that, about that big, and they would take the ore they got out of the mountain, they would put it in these, what looked like a dryer, you know, that goes around like that. Oh, and there was a bunch of them, and they were huge. And they'd put this ore in there, and they'd have three or four of these big balls in there, and as that went around like that, those balls would boom, 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 boom. And, the, and, and big chunks of ore would go in, but when they were done going through that process, it was a fine powder. That's exactly what you're seeing is going to happen here. This is actually something that's going to take place in the future. It says here that the rock that knocked down the statue became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. And so the kingdoms of the world now have been crushed by this rock, and they've been, they've been smashed so finely that the wind blows them away. In other words, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Give the Lord praise in God's house today. Now, this is a prophetic word referring to something that is yet to come. The other four kingdoms have already come and gone. This one is coming, and it's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge his enemies and establish his eternal kingdom upon all of the earth. 
Now, back to Nebuchadnezzar. The problem with this vision, as I see it anyway, is that it fed the pride of the king. He was, oh, I'm the head of gold. And he didn't really care about anything after him. I'm the head of gold. I get it all my way until God humbled him because of the pride that filled his life. So God gave him another dream. And this, this dream was a dream of judgment on him because of his pride. And again, his wise men could not interpret the dream, so he calls in Daniel. You'd think he'd have done that in the first place, but he didn't. He calls in Daniel later. And when Daniel shared the dream, or when Nebuchadnezzar shared the dream with Daniel, Daniel froze with fear, the Bible says, and then he told the king what the dream meant, that he would be humbled for a period of seven years where he would lose his mind, act like a, a madman, and actually live out in the forest amongst the animals. And verse number 28 tells us that these things actually did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. But they had a phenomenal impact on him because after the seven years were up and he had learned that heaven rules, the Lord Jehovah rules, not him, he was returned then to sanity and to his position as king. And that is when he made the phenomenal statement, those scriptures that I read to you right at the very beginning, about the greatness of the God of Israel. That happened after he had been humbled by God. So what can we now learn in 2017 from these events that happened about 2,500 years ago? Let me share just three things with you this morning quickly. Number one, never forget it. All blessings come from God. All of them do. Whether you're a follower of Christ or not, the blessings of God are given to you, and they are from God. So whether we're talking about wealth, whether we're talking about health, possessions or positions, they all come from God. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21 says, God controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. What that means is that God promotes and God demotes. He raises one up and puts another down. This is not just true of nations. This is true within families. He gives people influence in families for his purposes. He gives, uh, he'll, he'll give you a position of influence or a position within your company that seems totally odd that you would be the person chose to do that. It's, it's a part of the plan of God. He puts people in places of impact and he takes them from those same places. So I firmly have always believed that this, what, what we are doing as pastors in this church is not a job. It is a calling from God. God has placed us here to serve God's people, not to lord over people, but to serve God's people. But we aren't here for a paycheck. You say, well, then we'll take it back. <laughs> but then the word of God says that you're to, to honor, well, that we won't get into that. But anyway, my point just simply being is that none of the pastors that are on staff, Carrie and I did not come here because we were looking for a job. 
We came here because we felt God was calling us to be here. And the Lord puts people in positions according to his will and plan, and he also takes them out of those very same positions because of his plan and his will. So if you are experiencing blessings in your life right now, remember they come from God. They are not of your own making. You say, well, I went to school and trained for this, but God gave you the ability to understand those things. Ultimately, it goes back to the Lord God Almighty. God gives you the ability and the power. Now, that's something that God wanted the Jews to fully understand. And so he, he warned them in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, if you start thinking to, your, uh, <clears throat> to yourselves, I did all of this and all by myself. I'm rich. It's all mine. Well, think again. Remember that God, your God, gave you the strength to produce all of this wealth so as to confirm the covenant that he promised to your ancestors as it is today. The truth is, if you do not tithe, you are in effect saying that you believe that you own what you possess, that it's yours. That you believe that you alone produced the wealth that you've received. But God says, don't fall into that trap. All he has to do is remove your ability to succeed, and it will be gone like that in a moment, blown by the wind. When I tithe, I'm telling God that I understand that he owns it all and that the ability to produce this has come from him in the first place. All blessings come from God. That's a fact that Nebuchadnezzar did not want to acknowledge. Daniel chapter 4 tells us that he was taking a walk. Get this, he's taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon, and as he looked out across the ancient city, he said, look at the great city of Babylon. By my own hand or mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. You remember the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the ancient seven wonders of the world? If you, did you go to school? Do you remember that? All right, that was, that was in school. All right, that, that, Nebuchadnezzar's the guy who built all of that, all right? So now he's saying, look at what I have done. And while, verse 30, while these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of the kingdom. Wow. And that's when God struck him with insanity to humble him. Never forget, power and position, wealth and increase all come from God. So honor the Lord with your wealth, with your blessings. Not just the wealth of money, but the wealth of strength that you have in your body. You say, well, I'm getting old and my strength is waning. You can still pray. And it's the most powerful weapon you've got. You see what I'm saying? Whatever God has given you, you use it for his glory. You commit it unto him. Number two, God hates pride. Listen to just a few scriptures that talk about pride. Proverbs 16, 5, the Lord detests the proud. They will, be they will surely be punished. Proverbs 8, 13, all who fear the Lord will hate evil, therefore I hate pride. 
and arrogance, corruption, and perverse speech. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, haughtiness before a fall. Proverbs 11, 12, 11 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. Now, those four scriptures could probably be summarized by one New Testament verse in James 4, 6, but he gives more grace, gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I need strength for what I'm facing. What you need is grace, because grace is God's strength to you, which will help you to deal with whatever you're dealing with. But if you have pride that you're going to do it on your own, you'll never receive the grace. You've got to have the grace, and that only comes from being humble. Now, when we think that we've accomplished everything by our own ability, we're actually declaring um, that we don't need God anymore. We can do it on our own. In effect, we're saying we are God. I did this all by myself. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was saying. And that's the essence of pride. I'm not interested in God. I don't want God in my life. I don't need God in my life. And maybe right now, everything seems so cool that you don't need God for nothing. You're handling it all on your own. Well, I'm going to tell you, changes take place in life, and they can take place like that in just a moment. Because that starts the downward spiral that leads inevitably to destruction. That's why God hates it. According to 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, 17, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. He who does the will of God receives blessings, and his steps are ordered of God, but he who goes after the world's applause will receive correction, and discipline from God, perhaps judgment. Pride is what got Adam and Eve into trouble. Pride is what led to Egypt's destruction. Pride is what killed the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Pride is behind every act of aggression and violence and war, and it's a huge barrier between us and God because us, it's us declaring our independence from God. That's what pride is. That's why it's got to be dealt with. For Nebuchadnezzar, pride drove him insane for a period of seven years. That's what pride did to him. But before insanity, he was given an opportunity to repent. God is so gracious. God gave him another dream that Daniel again had to interpret for him. And in this dream, the king saw a large tree. It was so huge and so large that the birds nested in its, in its branches and the, the, the animals of the forest uh, found shelter under the leaves and the, the branches of this huge great tree. But suddenly, a voice from heaven screams out, cut the tree down, trim its branches, and scatter its fruit. And Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that the tree was him. You are the tree, O king. He was as great in the world as the tree was great in his dream, but because of his pride, God was going to judge him and bring him down. But if he repented, God would relent. God would change the course of history. But the king did not repent. 
For 12 more months, when you read the scriptures, he continued to live as though there, he had received no warning from God whatsoever. The dream, he had never received it. In fact, his, bride, his pride grew so much so that in chapter number 4, verse 30, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. So he ignored the warning, and 12 months later, judgment came. He went insane instantly and was driven out of the beautiful city that he had built for his own majestic glory and he's living out in the woods now with wild animals, eating the grass of the field for seven years. You know, for some people, they don't learn from their mistakes. Some people don't learn from a warning. Some people don't learn from a mistake. And some of us think that the delay of judgment means that judgment is not coming at all. How foolish. God hates pride and he will not put up with it forever. And we need to understand that because it is true, it, be, we need to understand that because it's, a true, it's as true today as it was for Nebuchadnezzar all those years ago. Look at James 4, 6 again. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse 34, Daniel 4, tells us what happened. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored, and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that God hates pride. He was only there in the first place because of God. And, and when that produced pride in him, he was brought down. The third thing we pick up from it is thanksgiving is the sign of a humble heart. Listen again to what Nebuchadnezzar said in verses 34 and 35. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. All, his, all the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? So Nebuchadnezzar learned a lesson that he wasn't that great after all. He was where he was because God had put him there and he could be demoted at any moment, anytime God wished. I wish our congressmen would understand this. Some of them do. Most of them do not. That's why he said in verse 37, uh, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. He's able to humble the proud. Kind of reminds me of some words written by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11, some of my favorite scripture. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? Well, God, if you just ask me, I could tell you how to handle this. And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? You owe me, God. For everything comes from him. It all exists by his power 
and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. So Daniel chapter 4 teaches us three things. That God rules, that he hates pride, but he's, his blessings upon a thankful and humble heart are abundant. And the most, I think probably the most important way that you can show your humility to God is by turning your life and your issues over to him and say, Lord, it's not, I've been trying to work my way out of this mess for the last three months. I can't find a way out. I need you. I've been trying to do this on my own. God, it's not working. I need you. Or maybe you've never fully committed your life to Jesus. And today, you need to surrender yourself and say, I'm not that great after all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at LifeChurchUtah.com.